Well, my friends, happy Sabbath. It's always a blessing to be here at my home church of Thompsonville, Thompsonville Seventh-day Adventist Church, and we also are welcoming all who are watching us at home or around the world, wherever you are. Uh, Praise the Lord. Um, We are going to take a journey through Scripture this morning. And uh, it's good to be back here to be able to preach and to, and to speak to you this morning. I've been, I've been on the road quite a bit. Uh, the Lord has been leading me and taking me to different places where I've been able to uh, preach evangelistically and, and, and conduct concerts and uh, just came back from a three-week evangelistic series in Phoenix City, Alabama. And so it's, it's hot down there. It's hot here and it's hot there, but the humidity there is out of this world. Uh, but it was a great series. I enjoyed my time there, and uh, it's a blessing to be back home here in Thompsonville. Today's message, as you can see, is entitled Prophetic Panorama. In case you don't know what a panorama is, well, let me just put it in this perspective. If you have a smartphone, most modern smartphones in, the, in the, uh, the picture app of your phone where you can take a picture has an option, most of them have an option for what's called a panoramic picture where you can start from one side and slowly glide to the other side and it will you will, it will basically take in everything in a big picture perspective. So in other words, if I was going to take a picture to this side, I would only be able to capture this side in just one clip. But if I took a panoramic picture, it would take in everything and compile it nicely together where you can see from start to finish the broader picture. Well, today we're going to be looking at what's called the prophetic panorama. I have been looking on my Facebook recently. I'm not a big social media person, but a lot of my sermon ideas come from uh, seeing the attitude and the knowledge that is being shared through social media. I have many, many, many friends on, on my social media platforms, and to see what many of them are talking about, some of sharing some of their thoughts and ideas about the end times, about the times that we're living in, a lot of times I will see that there's a general attitude about certain topics and certain things. As, did anybody watch this past uh, Thursday Night's Live, uh, the 3 ABN Thursday Night Live? We, we did a Thursday Night Live topic on the mark of the beast, and if the vaccine fits in, how the vaccine fits into the mark of the beast And so a lot of people are saying, hey, the vaccine is the mark of the beast. How many have seen that on social media? Or you've heard someone say that. Oh, I believe that this vaccine is the mark of the beast. And and, and while I believe that what we're seeing happening among us is very much conditioning us, and I'm going to use, I'm going to take that phrase and that word from from Brother Joe O'Brien. He shared that with me. It is very much conditioning us and setting us up for what is to come, which is this mark of the beast issue, this mark of the beast situation. The vaccine's not the mark of the beast. Uh, we, we, and so if you, haven't, if you don't know what that is, if you're watching at home right now and you're wondering, what is the mark of the beast? Or who is this beast of revelation? Go, go to YouTube, go to 3ABN+, Plus, find that, that video, that two-hour live that Shelly and myself did on that. But anyways, I'm getting all of these concepts, these ideas of, of you know, what to teach on, what to preach about, based on all of the different uh, misconceptions and mis ideas and you know misinformation that many people are given or they're sharing and uh, you know what I decided today as I was as I was preparing this week for this presentation I thought you know I want to show from a scriptural perspective as well as from a spirit of prophecy perspective what we can expect to happen from now to the second coming of Jesus Many people, again, they have in their, in their mind a certain series of events that is supposed to happen between now 
and the second coming of Jesus. Where we're going to put it into more of a detailed perspective, kind of a timeline perspective. And um, I just want to kind of give a disclaimer here. Normally, I always present, my, my presentations or my sermons are usually about 98 to 99% scripture. And then at the very end, usually I'll tag on some spirit of prophecy quotes uh, just to kind of supplement what I've been preaching. But today, we're because this... These subjects and these different events are so in-depth and there's so much to know about them. I'm I'm basically amalgamating the two. We're bringing a mixture of Scripture and a mixture of Spirit of Prophecy together. I want you to see this picture, this panoramic view of prophecy, the end times prior to the second coming of Jesus, how it unfolds and what it looks like. So uh, before we dive into that topic, though, let us go right to the Word or to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly need your guidance right now. Um, Lord, we want to set the record straight this morning. We want to inform and be informed and be knowledgeable and and wise, Lord, about the coming events uh, that are fast approaching us. We want to be prepared for the great coming, the return of Jesus Christ, And Lord, there are so many people out there that have so many different random ideas and we know that the enemy is sowing deceits and confusion in this world like no other time before. But Lord, we don't want confusion this morning. We want the straight testimony of your word. We want to understand what is ahead of us so that we can be prepared and to know how to meet the times that are fast approaching. So, Father, we're asking for the Holy Spirit right now. God, I'm asking that you lead and guide me to only speak your word this morning and help me to properly communicate this subject as it pertains to these last day events, to our salvation and our relationship and with Jesus Christ and our, and our will from God for our lives. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you've done and who you are. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. 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 The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. This is Paul writing, and he says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety... Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. They shall not escape. This is one of the most central passages in all of the prophetic writings, because Paul is trying to communicate the sense of urgency of how we need to be prepared for the soon return of Jesus. And I love how he starts this out because he's addressing the church. He's writing to the church at Thessalonica. Those whom have heard his presentations, they've heard his sermons, they've heard his teachings. And so now he's writing to them and he's saying, look, concerning the times and the seasons and all that is ahead, brethren, he says, there is no need that I should even have to write these things to you because you know, as I have already communicated, that the day of the Lord is going to appear, it's going to come as a thief in the night for many. And then he describes this one group of people, for when they, 
See, there's two groups that he mentions in this passage here. There's they, and then there's you. (laughs) They are those who will not be ready when Jesus comes. You, you are the church. You are those people that are the church that will be prepared when Jesus returns. So in this particular portion here, he says, and when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall, and in the original Greek there, there's actually a double negative, ume, which means they shall know not escape. There's a sense of urgency and importance that Paul is communicating. He's saying, brethren, (laughs) be aware that Life may just be going on as normal for a lot of people, but if you're not prepared, if you're not watching, if you're not sober, if you're not spiritually awakened, these times will come upon you as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall know not escape. Of course, we know that these signs and these seasons that he's referring to prior to the unfolding of the very final events of Bible prophecy, the very final events of this earth's history is none other than what we call the signs of the times. They're indications that God gave us, that Jesus Christ himself spoke of in many different passages. The signs of the times. Uh, signs that we need to be aware of, indications that Jesus Christ is coming soon. In fact, after Jesus lists a few of these signs of the times in Matthew 24, that there would be, you know, there would be famines and pestilences and wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes in, in various places, and he's listing all these signs. In verse 8 of Matthew 24, he says these words. He says, and all these are the beginning of sorrows. And it's interesting there because the word for sorrows there in the original Greek is literally translated birth pains. Same word in the Greek that Paul uses in the previous passage we just read from in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when he says, and they they will come upon you as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. Same Greek word used here that Christ is using here for the word sorrows. All of these are the beginning of sorrows or the beginning of birth pains. How many mamas do we have in here? All right. You know what them birth pangs are like. You know, when, 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 you know, when the water breaks, it's, it's like the floodgates open, right? And here, and it's, it's giving you an indication that baby is on their way, right? But it's interesting that these birth pangs that follow that event... The first one may come, and it may be, it's probably, listen to me up here talking about it like I know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> All the, every one of these women in here going, like, he really knows. <laughs> I've read things, and I have women in my family who have experienced this. So I, I, I may not have experienced it myself, but I know a little bit about how it goes. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but there comes that first birth pain, that first contraction, and it's sharp, it's quick, whoo, ooh, it almost takes your breath, and then, and then it's like, oh, that wasn't too bad, and then there'll be a duration of time to pass, and then here comes the second birth pain, and then it, whoo, uh-oh, almost, and then, and then it stops. It's like, oh, that, that, that wasn't too bad. And then you go on to the third one and then the fourth one. But you start to notice, ladies, tell me if I'm correct on this, there's a certain theme happening because 
the duration of time between these birth pains, what happens to them? It may start out, I don't know, ever so many minutes, and then it becomes ever so many, so many seconds, and then it becomes every second, and before you know it, it's like, woo! And then, and then the more you go along in these birth pains, what happens? They become more and more intense. Jesus described these signs of the times, the signs that give us indication that something big is about to happen. That Jesus Christ himself is coming. He's on his way. Jesus described them. Paul described them as birth pains. You say, but Ryan, we've always had storms and we've always had fires and we've always had floods and we've always had these different things to, 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 you know, these earthquakes. There's always been these things. Yes, but as we get closer to the second coming of Jesus, the duration of these major events are closer and closer and closer and they're more intense and more intense as we pass and get closer to the second coming of Jesus. We've seen this, have we not? We have witnessed these things. You can read about it in the great Olivet Discourse of Matthew chapter 24. You can also read some of the details in Mark 13, Luke 17, Luke 21. Jesus, uh, the, the authors repeat this where Jesus gives all of these signs very, very clear. But I'll tell you, my friends, not all of the signs of the times are necessarily, you know, in the, in the atmosphere and in the, in, the, uh, you know, in the heavenly bodies and with the weather and all the things that we're seeing. Of course, those are all signs that Jesus is coming soon. But I'll tell you, there's also other signs that is given to us in Scripture. I'll give you one right now pertaining to the church. It's a passage we've read many times. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes, he says, Preach the Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Why, Paul? Why in the world should we do this? He tells us, for the time will come when they shall not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the what? From the truth, and shall be turned into fables. Have we seen a little bit of that happening? Are we seeing this unfold before our eyes across even the Christian world? This is another sign, another indication that Jesus is coming soon. So let's put this in a kind of a panoramic timetable or chart kind of view timeline view, we're going to start with the signs. This is where we are. We're among the signs that are happening. We've been among them for a long time. We have seen over the decades and over the past couple of centuries, few centuries, that the signs of the times are indeed telling the story that Jesus is coming soon. Amen? Are we together, my friends? All right. That being said, all right, I want to say this up front. As we go through these different time, we're going to put different points on this timeline here that's going to kind of give us a sense of chronology on how we can expect these particular events to unfold. However, I do want to say that neither the Bible nor the spirit of prophecy confirms a few of these points to be in a particular order. So what I'm saying is, is we're going to put a general a panoramic view out there as to what we can expect because some of these events very much they very much might overlap each other. Many of them will occur around the same time. Let me give you one for example, this this next one. Because we're living in the signs of the times because it's telling us that Jesus is coming soon, we are told 
that soon and very soon that there's going to be a shaking. In fact, I'm going to submit to you that that shaking has already occurred and is still occurring. We are living in a shaking time period, my friends. Does it seem like the church has been rumbling a little bit lately? Does it seem like we're all on the same page? Does it seem like there's some division, some shaking, some cracks in the foundation of the church? Oh, my friends, understand the Bible as well as the spirit of prophecy makes it clear that we are living and are going to continue to live in this shaking time period until the next major event occurs. I believe we are living in that shaking time period. Notice what Revelation chapter 3 verses 9 and 10 tells us. God himself is speaking. He says, indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not. But what do they do? They lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to preserve. Notice. Because you have, excuse me, you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. This is talking about a shaking. God making a distinguishing difference between those who are his genuine followers and those who are not his genuine followers. Those who are of the synagogue of Satan, but yet they tell others, I'm a Jew. And what this is meaning, this is spiritual language for, this is, this is where we, Galatians 3 comes in. Galatians 3.29, remember? Uh, that we are all spiritual Jews. We are all seeds of Abraham and heirs according to the promise if we are in Christ. That's what the Bible teaches us. In other words, what this language is, is, is telling us here is that there are those out there that say, I'm of Christ. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. I am a Christian. In fact, many of them may be saying, I am a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. But Jesus knows the heart. Jesus knows the heart. He knows who his genuine followers are and those who, again, they lie. They are of the synagogue of Satan. There's a shaking going to occur. In fact, notice what the spirit of prophecy tells us about the shaking. Testimonies for the church, volume 1, page 181. It says, I asked the meaning of the shaking I had seen and which shown that it would be caused by the straight testimony called forth by the counsel of the true witness to the Laodiceans. Are we living in Laodicea? So this message is to the Laodiceans. This will have its effect upon the heart of the receiver and will lead him to exalt the standard and pour forth the straight truth. But because of this straight truth, it goes on to say some will not bear this straight testimony. They will rise up against it. And this will cause a shaking among God's people. Are we understanding this, my friends? We are living in a shaking time period. And the question is, which part of the shaking are you going to be on? Which side are you going to be on? Are you going to be found a part of the sheep or a part of the goats? Are you going to be found a part of God's whole wheat church? Are you going to be found a part of the tares? God knows who his people are. And you know, even she goes on to say, that the church, this is coming from Selected Messages, Volume 2, page 380. She says, the church may even appear as if it's about to fall. But it does not. 
There's some sleeping folk in here today. Let's try that one more time. The church may appear as though it's about to fall, but it does not fall. Does God have his people? Yes, he has a people. It remains while the sinners in Zion will be what? Sifted. Notice, notice where these sinners are. Where are they? In Zion. They're in the church. But it says the chaff separated from the precious wheat. This is a terrible, notice, ordeal. But nonetheless, it must take place. My friends, I believe again we are living in that shaking time. Jesus gives us plenty of indication that there's going to be a shaking. We even see it in the parable of the ten virgins. Remember there's five wise and there's five foolish. The five foolish say to the five wise, give us of your oil. They don't have enough oil. They don't have the Holy Spirit in their life because they are not obedient to God by love. Their relationship with Christ is not based on love. In fact, I would say that they don't even have a relationship with Jesus all the while believing that they do. And then they have to hear those haunting words, I'm sorry I don't know you. Depart from me. Mm. Mm. God speaks of these people who are of the synagogue of Satan, who might be considered a part of the foolish, believing 100% that they are in Christ when in reality they are not. He describes them again, this is 2 Timothy 3, 5, of having a form of godliness, but denying what? Denying the power. What power is it they're denying? It's the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power. My friends, it's the power of God in your life. Are you responding positively to the leading, guiding power of the Holy Spirit in your life today? Are you following after the commands of God because you have the Holy Spirit in you? Do you have the spiritual discernment to be able to see the, the, the times that we're living in, to discern the times that we're living in, to know that Jesus Christ is coming soon? Do you, do you sense, uh, there, is there a sense of urgency in your life to live today as if we have no tomorrow, as if Jesus Christ is coming back tomorrow? Only a person led by the Spirit of God will live in those ways. All of these signs... All of the indications are clear. Jesus is indeed coming soon. In fact, Testimonies to the Church, volume 9, page 11. We've read this one many times, but notice what it says. It says, the calamities by land and sea, the unsettled state of society, the alarms of war are portentous. They forecast approaching events of the greatest magnitude. What are they telling us? Something's coming much bigger. I've even heard people say, oh, we're living in the great time of trouble because of this COVID. You ain't seen nothing yet. This is just, this is just a little tiny sign, an indication that there's something much greater, in her words, of greatest magnitude that is still yet to come. My question is, are you prepared for that time, my friends? We are fast approaching it. It goes on to say the agencies of evil are combining their forces and consolidating. Are we seeing some consolidation of what appears to be forces of evil in this time? Of course we are. They are strengthening for the last great crisis. Great changes are soon to take place 
in our world. And then notice what she says here. And the final movements will be what? My friends, if you don't get anything else, get this right here. Everything that we're about to go, go, that we're about to go over from this point moving forward in this presentation, I want you to understand very clearly, these final movements, they're not just rapid, they're more rapid than what you think. You see, we're living life, and life passes us with each passing day, and we hear the brethren, we hear ourselves, we hear the preachers say, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, and then we blink, and it's 10 years. Oh, well. They said that 10 years ago. Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, and then we blink, and now it's 20 years. Well, they said that 20 years ago. Life just seems to be creeping right on by. Life just seems to be creeping, and people are falling more and more into a complacent state because they've been hearing the same message, it seems like, forever. But Jesus hasn't come yet. <laughs> I could imagine Moses preaching the same message for 120 years. Probably by year 20 or year 30, they thought, oh, this, this, what did I say, Moses? I always, I always get them backwards for some reason. Moses and Noah. Noah, we're talking about Noah here. Could you imagine Noah preaching for 100, the same message? For 120 years. You could imagine that after 10 years, most of the people had said, oh, he said that 10 years ago. Look, at he's building this boat. This guy's done lost his mind. 30 years later, this guy, look at him. He's still deranged. 50 years later, you see the state of complacency gets thicker and thicker, and bigger, and bigger, until by the time the judgment arrives, these individuals are in complete disbelief. They've lost heart. Their fire has burned out. They're going through the motions, but inside their life is a valley of dry bones. There's a reason why these words exist, that the final movements will be rapid ones. Has anyone ever ridden in a Tesla? I'm gonna, I almost said Tesla. Tesla, a Tesla car. All right. It's the most incredible thing you'll ever experience. This thing can go from like zero to 60 in like two and a half, three seconds. But you could be creeping along in the car at 20 or 30 miles per hour, and it's just like, you know, oh, this is nice. And then if the person driving were to put that pedal all the way to the floor, it'd feel like your organs was going to come out your spine. <laughs> I rode in one. We were in Australia with uh, 3ABN team. Uh, Jason, you weren't, you weren't there on that trip, were you? Okay. Brother that came to our camp meeting invited us to come out and take a ride in his Tesla. So he gets in the vehicle. And we all pack in. I'm sitting in the front seat. I think Pastor Loma King was in there with me and Greg and Jill Morconi were there. Is Greg and Jill here today? I don't know if they were here. They, I was going to have them attest to it if they were. They're probably watching at home. But uh, oh man, if Greg and Jill were here, Jill can tell you just how, how 
it, to some people it would be frightening. To me, it wasn't really frightening, but it was certainly just, it was, it was the experience like no other. In a car! A car! So we're driving along this little street, you know, 20 miles per hour, you know, just, just you know, cruising along. And then finally we come to a stop in the road, and in the middle of the road, because the guy, you know, look behind, you look for, there's no one there. He wanted to show us just how powerful this car was. And he puts that pedal all the way down. And I literally felt my eyes rolling. I had no control. I had no control of my, like my, my blood. It seemed like all of my blood went to my back. It was just like, oh. It, it just went so swift, so quick, so fast in a moment that it was just like, it totally took my breath. It was like, felt like my lungs could not expand. And then finally, when he got up to speed and kind of, the, and my blood flow is coming back, my hands are tingling and my face feels like it's like, you know, around the back of my head. I'm just like, whoa, I was just overwhelmed at how powerful this car can accelerate on, on, on a dime. And then he would slow down to about 20 miles per hour and then he would again and he would just, whoa, just throw me back into the chair and I couldn't even pull forward to touch the dashboard. I mean, that's how fast and powerful this car is. My friends, I give you that illustration because in an illustrative way, that's exactly how the final events will be. We're just cruising along, it seems like, and people are comfortable at 20, 30 miles per hour. But then when a certain event comes, you better believe that the last events of this earth's history is going to go from 30 to 70 just like that. What event is going to launch us into these final events? Right now, we're going through the signs. We're experiencing the shaking. You want me to tell you what the next major event is going to be in the very near future that we need to be prepared for, my friends? You know, the world scoffs and laughs at this. <laughs> Sunday law, these Adventists. <laughs> these, these Adventists. In fact, I've heard seven-day Adventists scoff and laugh at this. Oh, Ryan, you know, they've been teaching that for years, you know, Sunday law. And, you know, and I've even had people, I just don't believe that they were, that's what's going to happen. So here we go. Let's put it on our timeline. We're living through the signs. We're living through the shaking. But the next thing to happen, my friends, very quickly, I believe, in the near future, is going to be that Sunday law. Notice, closed on Sunday. You're going to see a lot of these. Get ready for it. Get ready. You, ain't having, you haven't seen it yet, but it's going to happen. Notice what Revelation 13 tells us in predicting this, 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 in this forced observance of Sunday, this forced worship. It says, and he deceives, speaking of the second beast, that United States of America, that, that Protestant America. Here it is. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he had granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. You know what this is telling us? That the United States, this Protestant America, is going to create a powerful relational alliance with the first beast of Revelation 13. And that first beast of Revelation 13, guess what? I'm not going to beat around the bush about it. It's the Roman papal church state, the Roman Catholic church system. Does that mean that everyone in the Roman Catholic church is bad? 
No. Does God have good people that are being led by the Holy Spirit that are in the Catholic Church? Yes, he does. In fact, we see it in Revelation 18.4. Come out of her, my people. So this isn't a message to throw Catholic people under the bus or to beat down Catholic people in their faith. We're talking about a false system of worship. And the Bible predicts that this second beast, this United States Protestant beast, will unite with the first beast, the papal beast, and they will create an image. The United States will be formulated into an image, a direct image as likened to that papal beast, an amalgamation of church and state ready full force to bring about a forced worship in this world that's not in harmony with God's word. It goes on to say, He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both what? Speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be be killed, my friends. So we know that this image is being set up right now, right before us, it's being set up. In fact, if you want to see a good glimpse of it, just go to Washington, D.C. We took took, uh, Stephanie's class, uh, her her class to Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago before this pandemic exploded. And I was just amazed because that was the first time I'd ever been to Washington, D.C. You don't feel like you're in America when you're in that city. Every single architecture and building of all kinds, down every single street, you feel like you're in a Roman city. And it goes on to say, and he, the United States, causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a, what? A mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark, of the, or the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. What is this telling us, my friends? Bible prophecy is predicting that very soon this world is going to be turned upside down. Marking the beginning of this will be an enforced international day of worship. Sunday will be called the Lord's day. Sunday will be made the day of rest. And every other day you must work or you won't be able to buy or sell to provide for your family. Sunday laws. Notice what this quote says. Seven, seventh volume of the Bible commentary, page seven, or 976. It says, the Lord has shown me clearly that the image of the beast will be formed before probation closes. For it is, the, it is to be the greatest test for the people of God by which their eternal destiny will be decided. Did you hear that, my friends? This event will mark about a decision that you have to make in which your eternal destiny as a, as a, as a sanctified church member, one who is informed, one who has heard this message, you make the decision on which side you're on and your eternal destiny will be decided come the Sunday law. In fact, it goes on to say this, this is the same volume of the Bible commentary. This is the test that the people of God must have before they are sealed. All who proved their loyalty to God by observing his law and refusing to accept a spurious Sabbath will rank under the banner of the Lord God Jehovah and will receive the seal of the living God. Those who yield the truth of heavenly origin and accept, notice, the Sunday Sabbath will receive the mark of the beast. My friends, this issue is closer to us than what we think. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready? 
We've been hearing it for decades. We've been hearing it for centuries. But it's made clear that sooner or later, Sunday laws will be passed. Not might, not could. It makes it clear. Sunday laws will be passed. Manuscript release, volume 4, page 278. Soon, the Sunday laws will be enforced. And men in positions of trust will be embittered against the little handful of God's commandment-keeping people. Did you hear that? They will be bittered in their heart. Who are these people? Who don't want to fall in line with the Lord's day, Sunday. Who are these people? A thorn in the world's flesh. Because they have to keep some seventh day Saturday Sabbath. And when this attitude begins to flood the hearts of Protestants and Papists around the world. The message goes out very clear that it's now time to get. If you haven't left already, you better get out of the cities, my friends. Because what's about to happen after this, you do not want to be in a city on what's about to unfold under this planet. So the next thing on our little timeline here is that in accordance with this Sunday law event, we want to be out of the city. Let me tell you something, my friends. I've even heard people say this, and I want to address this really quickly. I've heard Seventh-day Adventist pastors say this. Well, it ain't going to matter if you're in the city or you're out of the city because if the Spirit of the Lord is in you, then you can be in that city and you'll still be protected. <laughs> Let me make it clear. We have been counseled already by the Spirit of the Lord to prepare to leave the cities. And I'm just, I'm just telling you straight up, people with that mentality and that attitude who rebelliously decide, I'm not leaving the city, I'm not making preparation, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to flee as I'm supposed to, I'm going to stay right here in this city. I think you've got a, 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 a sorrowful time coming upon you that you're not prepared for. Because the spirit of the enemy is going to flood those cities like no other. Get out of the cities. That's why Bible in Revelation chapter 12 verse 6 tells us, and the woman fled into the... And to the wilderness where, notice, she had a place prepared that she prepared on her own. Who prepared this place for her? So is God behind his church fleeing when it's time? Absolutely, my friends. That's why even Jesus told his disciples in wake of this 70 AD destruction of Jerusalem, he told them, pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Their flight because what Rome was about to bring up on the city of Jerusalem, he said, you don't want to be in that rat hole. Get out. And they did. In fact, a great controversy makes it clear that not one soul, not one soul, who, who had the Spirit of God in them, who were of the true church, who truly followed Jesus, not one of them perished because they followed the leading, guiding power of the Spirit when it said, get out of Dodge. My friends, we need to be ready. That's why Testimony to the Church, Volume 5, 464 tells us, the time is not far distant when like the earthly disciples, notice the early disciples, we shall be forced to seek a refuge in desolate and solitary places. As the siege of Jerusalem by the Roman armies was the signal for the flight to the Judean Christians, so the assumption of power on the part of our nation in the decree enforcing the papal Sabbath will be a warning to us. Did you hear that? When we start to see these things unfold, when we start to see the signs, the indications that this Sunday law is drastically forming in front of our faces, what are we supposed to do? Get out of Dodge. 
That's why it says here, it will then be the time to leave the large cities preparatory to leaving the smaller ones for retired homes and secluded places among the mountains. Now, why? Why are we, why are we counseled to get out of the cities? Because soon after that Sunday law is passed, and I believe very swiftly, we are going to be launched into what is known as the little time of trouble. The little, this is the time of trouble that proceeds just before the greater time of trouble. The little time of trouble. So here we are. We have now arrived to the little time of trouble. Notice what Revelation 13, 15 says. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be what? Does that sound like a time of trouble? You see, if you refuse to worship the beast and receive the mark, and you choose to make God your Savior, your Lord, and you choose to obey the Bible commandments and the Bible Sabbath, you will be seen as an enemy. You will be seen as a threat to the enemy's agenda. And let me tell you something. Many people will probably have to give up their life for their faith. Let me tell you, let me tell you something, my friends. It's not going to be pretty. I think we are seeing a smaller precursor of it when we're looking into what's happening in the events currently right now in Afghanistan. People giving up their lives because they believe that Jesus is Lord and they're willing to die for it rather than turn their back on their Savior. Will you be ready for that time? Will you be sealed with the seal of God? Or will you be marked by the enemy, by the power of the beast? All who will not bow to the decree of the national councils and obey the national laws to exalt the Sabbath instituted by man of sin, by the man of sin, to the disregard of God's holy day, will feel not only the oppressive power of popery alone, but of the Protestant world, the image of the beast. That's Selected Messages, Volume 2, page 380. Notice what Manuscripts Release says. Those religious bodies who refuse to hear God's message of warning will be under strong deception and will unite with the civil power to persecute who? This is that little time of trouble. The Protestant churches will unite with the papal power in persecuting the commandment-keeping people of God. This lamb-like power unites with the dragon in making war upon those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. My friends, are you wrapping your mind around all of this? We cannot walk out of here today, those watching at home, we cannot leave and just go back into our regular lives as if we have not heard this truth today. We cannot arrive at this time and then look up to the heavens and say, oh God, I just didn't really know just how bad it was going to be. I just didn't really know what was to come. My friends, the word of God and his prophet has spoken. Great Controversy 607 says the church appeals to the strong arm of the civil power. And in this work, papists and Protestants unite. Are we seeing this? I think we're already seeing the stage setting up. And during this time, as the mark of the beast is being enforced, as thousands and thousands are giving up their life for Christ, and those others have fled into the mountains to, 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 to get away from this persecution, you see the devil setting back. And he says, ah. I've got one last opportunity. 
to deceive in such a powerful, mighty way like no other before. And so Satan's final deception takes place during this little time of trouble. What is his, what is his, uh, his ultimate final deception? Here it is. Excuse me, let me go back here. Satan impersonates Christ. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14, what does it tell us? Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of, of light. We know that he transforms himself to look like Jesus Christ in the near future. Notice what Selected Messages, volume 2, page 296 says. The enemy is preparing to deceive the whole world by his miracle working power. He will assume to personate the angels of light. Notice, to personate Jesus Christ. What did I say? 296, excuse me. Volume 2, page 96. I'm on a roll today. If I mess, if I mess up, just, just scream it out. We want to make sure we're right. My, my, I'm about 25 steps ahead of my, myself right here. <laughs> Selected Messages, Volume 2, page 394. Notice what is said here. If men are so easily misled now, how will they stand when Satan shall personate Christ? And work what? Wait, the devil can't work miracles. No, he can't work miracles, can he? My friends, what miracles do you think the devil is going to work? What I was thinking, I was talking about this with one of my friends in, in Alabama when I was doing a series there. You know, Jesus worked many miracles. And I believe that the devil will work, and to impersonate Christ, he will work many false miracles. But I'll tell you the one that's probably going to deceive the world more than anything, and I can back this up by the fact that it says to us that the, that, that the uh, United States, Protestantism, will reach across the abyss and it will clasp hands with the papacy, the papal system, and spiritualism. The greatest miracle that Jesus worked when he was alive was the greatest enemy of this world. What did Paul say? O grave, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The greatest miracle Jesus was able to work when he was alive here on this earth was resurrecting the dead. I could imagine millions and millions and millions of people when Jesus miraculously shows up in person, and of course we know it's not Jesus, it's going to be the devil. And he's going to start turning things, water into wine. Who knows, it might be something else. It might be like water into Dr. Pepper, or water into Pepsi or Coke, or, or who knows, or, or water into bourbon, or who knows. People who are sick in the hospital, could you imagine someone has coronavirus and then Jesus comes and, and then they don't have it anymore. This must really be Jesus. But the greatest deception of all is when people start seeing their dead loved ones coming and visiting them. 
You say, but Ryan, the Bible says only God has the keys to the grave and to death. That's true. Could you imagine people seeing their dead loved ones coming out of the graves or appearing to them at home? You can't imagine that, right? But yet the Bible says he's going to work miracles. He's going to work miracles. And then notice what the quote says. Who will be unmoved by his misrepresentations then? Professing to be Christ when it is only Satan assuming the person of Christ and apparently working the works of Christ. Who will be unmoved? I can imagine. In fact, notice what the Bible says. This is what Jesus himself said in Matthew 24. He said, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Are we seeing this, my friends? Are we seeing this clearly? He says, see, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if I say to you, look, he is in the desert. Do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner room. Do not believe it. Jesus says, look, I'm warning you. I've told you this beforehand. There's going to be some massive deception. Even possible, the very elect. And I've had someone challenge me on that. They say, well, Ryan, it says, if possible. It's really because it's not possible for the elect to be deceived. If it wasn't possible for the professed Christians of the Lord, those who are in the church, to be deceived, then why are there so many warnings to the church from Paul, from Christ, from Peter, from John? All of them saying, do not be deceived. I can imagine that there's going to be Seventh-day Adventist Christians who were raised to believe that when a person dies, they sleep into the grave until Jesus Christ returns to resurrect them. There's going to be 70 Adventist Christians who have lost their loved ones that they dearly love. And the devil's going to show up looking like Jesus, sounding like Jesus, acting like Jesus. And he's even going to start working miracles like Jesus. And there's going to be Seventh-day Adventist Christians that, who do not have their, their heart and their, their minds made and, and planted on the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to be deceived at the last moment because they're going to question everything they've ever been taught and everything they've ever believed in. That's some scary stuff, my friends. But make no mistake about it. Even though the devil may have his rendezvous time of, of deceiving, who knows, billions of people, God will not end this earth until he has had one last opportunity to preach the truth so powerfully that people have one last opportunity to make a decision for him. So what happens next? We know that within this, the, the context of this little time of trouble, the latter rain will be poured out. And those individuals who are still alive, who are sealed with the seal of God, they're going to receive the latter rain. What is the latter rain? Well, let's let the Bible and spirit of prophecy tell us. James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. It says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of our Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Wait patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So the farmer waits for the early rain. After the seed is sown, the early rain comes and it helps it to sprout. 
It helps it to begin its growth process. But when that plant is fully grown right before its full ripened process, God is going to send another rain. Of course, we're speaking spiritually here. There's going to be a rain to come. It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit like no other time before. We saw a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. My friends, that was just in Jerusalem. But the latter rain will be so great and so powerful, it's going to be a global outpouring where God sealed people who are still alive and left on this planet, they're going to receive such a powerful, powerful outpouring of God's Spirit that they're going to stand up and proclaim boldly the three angels' messages, the everlasting gospel. And everyone around the world will get the last, their last opportunity to make their decision for Christ. Notice fifth volume of the testimonies, page 214. Now, notice it says, Not one of us will ever receive the seal of God while our characters have one spot or stain upon them. It is left with us to remedy the defects of our characters, to cleanse the soul temple of every defilement. Then the latter rain will fall upon us as the early rain fell upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip through these next ones. I'm going to get to this next major moment. Because the latter rain brings about the loud cry. When God pours out His Spirit in a mighty way into the hearts and minds of His people, He's going to give them the boldness to preach the Word of God just like on the day of Pentecost. Thousands and thousands and thousands will hear this truth. And of course, we know what this loud cry is. The loud cry, of course is in connection with the three angels' messages, more specifically the second and third angels' message. Notice it's coming from Revelation chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. This is God's last, final, conclusive message. It says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. And because of it, God sends this message. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And then verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. God's last message to the earth. Jesus is coming soon. The wrath of God is about to be poured out upon this planet. And those of you who are in the valley of decision as to whether you should follow this beast, and those of you who have up to this point made the decision to follow this papal system, God is calling you out. He says, come out of her, my people. Don't find yourself among that camp when the plagues of the wrath of God are poured out upon this planet. God lovingly warns them one last time. And of course, the last issue that these people will have to decide over is the same issue the people in the beginning of this Sunday law had to decide over. Are you going to receive the seal of God and be protected by God? Are you going to follow the beast and receive his mark and receive of her plagues? You see, this will bring about the great final 
event before the second coming of Jesus. There will be a moment when God will draw the line, or draw the, the, a, a line in the sand, and He will say, "That's it. Time's up." And we reach the close of probation for all mankind. So here we are, my friends. The great tribulation time period will come upon this planet. How will it begin? Daniel 12 tells us in verse 1, And at that time shall Michael stand up the great prince which standeth for the children of his people. Who is this Michael? It's Jesus Christ. It's another name for Jesus. Michael the archangel, the chief of the angels, one who is like God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He will stand up. And then it says, And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. At this moment, Jesus is going to stand up because he's had his priestly garments on these last few hundred years, a couple of thousand years almost. He's going to stand up and he's going to change his garments. And he's going to say these words, he who is unjust... Let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. You know what that is? That's a sealing of the judgment. And that's why in Revelation 15 we read this. It says, after these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed with pure bright linen and having their chest girded with golden bands. See, they've all been wearing their sanctuary garb, but now things are about to change. Verse 7, it says, then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls, full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. No one was able to have access to their mediator, their intercessor, because he is about to exit the temple. That's why we find these words. It was impossible for the plagues to be poured out while Jesus officiated in the sanctuary. But as his work there is finished and his intercession closes, there is nothing to stay the wrath of God. And it breaks with fury upon the shelterless head of the guilty sinner who has slighted salvation and hated reproof. Lord, I'm fine just like I am. I don't need correction, I don't need change. I don't need fixing. Lord, I'm fine just the way I am. I don't need to change my lifestyle. I don't need a change of heart. But I'll still be saved because they manipulate the message of grace, right? Jesus still loves me just as I am. And I say to a person that says those words, yes, he sure does. We serve a God who loves you more than you could ever begin to fathom. But God did indeed accept you just as you are. 
But the Bible makes it very clear that he does not want to leave you as you are. You see, our God is in a transforming work. He's in the business of taking the old man and making him a new man. He's in the business of taking that old creature and creating within him a new creature in Christ Jesus. But these people, these individuals who, receive, who do not receive reproof, they don't allow Jesus to transform them. They don't have the relationship with Christ. And so it goes on to say, Jesus tarried a moment in the outer apartment of the heavenly sanctuary. Excuse me, let me go back. In that fearful time after the close of Jesus' mediation, the saints were living in the sight of a holy God without an intercessor. Every case was decided, every jewel numbered. Jesus tarried a moment in the outer apartment of the heavenly sanctuary, and the sins which had been confessed while he was in the most holy place were placed upon Satan, the originator of sin, who must suffer their punishment. You see, those seven angels that are given the seven vials, the seven bowls of the wrath of God, one by one they begin to pour it upon this planet because probation has closed. This is the seven last plagues. The great tribulation, also known as the time of trouble. And you say, Ryan... <laughs> How is God's people going to live through such an event? You go read Revelation 16. Go read and study Revelation 16, each one of those plagues. Have you seen them lately? Have you read that chapter lately? Let me just give you a sense here. The first bowl, loathsome sores. Sores all over your body. The second bowl, the sea turns to blood. Shuts down all the economy of the world. The third bowl, the waters turn to blood. God says, you want to shed the blood of my saints? You want to murder my people? You see all those people that gave up their life in Afghanistan? We, we, I, I, someone sent me a video, horrible video. I kind of fell into it, happened to watch it. Absolute most horrific video I've ever seen in my life. People being murdered right there. You see, God says to these men, who take the lives of his people. He says, you want to shed blood? You want to shed my people's blood? You want to make the enemy your king? I'll give you blood to drink. All the fresh waters of the world are turned to blood. The fourth bowl, men are scorched with fire. The fifth bowl, darkness and pain. This whole world launched into darkness. The sixth bowl, of course, this is where Satan launches his absolute last effort to try to take this world. The spirits of demons go out to make sure that all these people are under the corruption and the deception of Satan. But during this time, the world is starting to realize that the beast, of which whose mark they've received, well, they aren't all cracked up to what they say they are. And the Bible says the river Euphrates dries up. That river Euphrates is a representation of the masses of people who have given their support to that beast, but at the last moment they turn on the beast. 
But it's too late. It's too late. And through all of these plagues that are falling, I know we haven't haven't mentioned number seven yet. I'm going to read number seven in just a moment. But God's people are not evacuated from this planet during this time. They're still in the rocks. They're still in the mountains. But notice what the Bible says. It's a beautiful promise. We've got the promise. Isaiah 33, 16. He shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the munition of rocks. Bread shall be given him. His waters shall be sure. There's only one group of people on this planet, my friends, that will be drinking clean water during this time. And it's God's people. Those who are sealed by the seal of God. Psalm 91 gives us the beautiful promise. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. It says, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Did you hear that? God is going to protect his people, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Amen. God is going to protect us, my friends. But you have to have, have, to have the seal of God. You have to give your heart to him. You have to be wrapped up in Jesus Christ. The seventh plague, oh, oh. notice what happens in the seventh plague. It says, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne of God, saying, It is done. There were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. This is the final plague. It says, and the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations did what? Where do, you, do you want to be in these cities when God comes back? No, you don't, because the cities fall. It goes on to say, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give her into the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. It has been estimated that this talent is somewhere between 70 and 85 pounds. One piece of hail. We, we see hail here every once in a while, right? It happens. It falls, and you go out there and pick these little pea-sized or dime-sized little pieces of ice off the ground. But I'll tell you, these, these pieces of hail that are falling out of the sky, my friends, on the day that Jesus returns is not little pea-sized pieces of hail. Somewhere between 70 and 85 pounds per piece. Per piece of hail. It says, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. You say, Ryan, how in the world is God's people going to live through that? Well, you see, within the context of this seventh plague, Jesus comes back. Jesus is seen coming back. Notice, this is Revelation 19, 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. 
And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Jesus is seen coming back on a white horse. This, my friends, is his second coming. You see, the the close of probation happens. And one by one, all of these plagues start to fall. The wrath of God upon those who refuse to receive God as Savior. But in the context of that seventh and final plague, Jesus comes back. The sky recedes like a scroll. And Jesus is seen riding on top of a white horse. He's returned. He's returned to get his people. But he's not going to let one piece of hail fall upon this earth without he first gathering his people. That's why 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds of heaven to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. My friends, are you a part of that holy church? Have you made your decision to stand on the side of the King of Heaven now? Because today has been a message to give you a panoramic view of what lies ahead in your near future. Some people are going to hear all of what I preach today and it's a myth to them. It's just words in a book It's just another preacher preaching another sermon. Many will hear this message. They'll leave this church today and they'll return right back to their complacent lives. And then one day, this world will be launched into complete havoc. And many people, because they refuse to make Jesus their Lord today, will be overcome by the spirit of demons. My friends, this isn't a message to scare you to Jesus. This is not a tactic to use to cause you to somehow run to Jesus and say, oh, Jesus, I don't don't want to die or I don't want to experience. This is a message to draw you to your loving Savior while you still have time. There's still time. But right now, we're cruising at about 30 miles per hour. But one day very soon, as you can clearly see all the events that are happening around us, it don't take a rocket scientist to figure out that something big's coming. 
This world cannot continue in the path and in the direction it's going without something big coming. Some people will perceive these signs. They will put aside unimportant things in their life and they will give their heart to Jesus. Praise God for those people. And others will return to their complacent lives and live each passing day as if there is no God. Only to hear the most haunting words they've ever heard in their life. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I don't know you. Oh, God have mercy. You see, God has a people. And each and every one of you watching at home, wherever you are around the world, and those here today, you have a choice to be a part of God's people, his church. You see, God has a distinct people, a church on earth second to none, but superior to all in their facilities to teach the truth, to vindicate the law of God. God has divinely appointed agencies, men whom he is leading, whom have borne the heat and burden of the day, who are cooperating with heavenly instrumentalities to advance the kingdom of Christ in our world. Let all what? Unite. Let's say that together. Let all... Oh, you said that like you're about to fall asleep. Come on, Laodicea. Let all unite with these chosen agents and be found a last among those who have the patience of the saints who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. You see, we need to be united. But our church is more divided than ever because the enemy is at war with these people who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. People bickering and griping with each other, arguing over a vaccine, over pity little subjects that is not going to save your soul because only Jesus Christ can save your soul. Now, please don't take what I just said and run with that and say, oh, Ryan Day said that the vaccine doesn't matter and that, you know, the subject of that doesn't matter. Please don't take my words. and, and, and mis- You have absolute 100% choice to choose to whether you want to take that vaccine or not. What I'm saying is it's not an issue that should divide God's people. Whether you want to choose to get that vaccine or whether you choose not to get that vaccine, that's between you and the Lord. But it shouldn't divide God's people. And it's not just the vaccine. Other little petty issues that have our own people conspiring against each other. God have mercy on us. Because of pride. Because of selfishness. Because they have more of the spirit of the devil in them than they have the spirit of God. That's the times we're living in. But it's not too late. It's not too late to say, God, have mercy on my soul. God, cleanse me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Jesus is coming soon. 
There's your timeline of events right there. That's what's coming ahead. We're living in the signs and in the shaking. But soon, that Sunday law is going to break forth and it's going to break loose and it's going to launch us into the swiftest end-time events that you've ever seen in your life. We better make sure that we're out of the cities because that little time of trouble is going to be rough. It's not going to be easy. Satan himself is going to show himself and he's going to impersonate Jesus and deceive billions but God's going to pour out his spirit in that latter rain like he's never done before. And his people are going to give the loud cry, the everlasting gospel. And this gospel will once and, for all, once and for all be heard by every person living on this planet. Just like Jesus said, when this gospel goes to all the world, then the end shall come. And after that loud cry is given, God will know who is his sealed who is not he will know who his sheeps are and who his goats are he will know who the wheat are and who the tares are he will know who the genuine and who the non-genuine are he's going to know and at that moment the most horrific time that's ever hit this planet is going to unleash and I pray that each and every one of us find ourselves being protected by those angels being taken care of by God. Oh, that's my prayer. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. But when they say peace and safety... And sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall know not escape. But I want to end with these words. But you, brethren, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. I want to ask you to stand with me today as we dismiss, we prepare to dismiss. But I want to ask clearly right here today in closing, are you watching are you spiritually sober during the times that we're living in? If that's the case, by a show of hands today for Jesus Christ, how many today make the decision and say, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me that I may stand boldly and stand with confidence that you are appearing when you come. <laughs> Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready? Father in heaven, oh, how we look forward to seeing you very soon. 
how we look forward to seeing Jesus Christ coming back on the right hand of power to get his people. Lord, we're tired of this world. We're weary in this sinful world. We do groan in this earthly tent. And we look forward to a time in which you make all things new. Father, there's someone here today or someone at home that has heard this message and they're in the valley of decision. They haven't quite made that decision for you yet. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you will send such a strong influence of your spirit upon their hearts that you will draw them to make a decision for you. Lord, in these crazy times we're living, as we can't seem to see two feet in front of us, and it seems like this world has erupted into chaos, Lord, we know that you still have a plan. Keep us on the right path, Lord, on the straight and narrow. Protect your people, O oh God. Create in us a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within us. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we could worship together this morning. We thank you for your never-ending love that you bestow upon us every day. Take us away here safely today. And bring us back again safely, we ask. In Jesus' holy name, amen.